0: Oh, come on. Just keep clapping your hands to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So good to be in the presence of the Lord. And so good to be here with you all. Love and appreciate the people of God. And aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Amen. Amen. Oh, that's good. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. I'm, I'm not very good at preliminary remarks, but let me just say how much I love and appreciate Pastor and Sister Williams. Amen. How many people love their pastor? Let's just lift our hands for one moment. Thank you, Jesus. have your Bibles, the book of Hebrews. Love and appreciate God's people. And uh, uh, God bless all these good preachers and uh, wonderful men of God. Love and appreciate all them. Uh, Praise God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 10 I'm just going to preach the first four words from that verse. And it simply says, we have an altar. We have an altar. Can we say that together? We have an altar. Jesus, I thank you for this moment that you've created. And I'm asking you, Jesus... you would allow me to preach what you put in my heart God I thank you God I thank you speak through me Jesus that I might be a blessing to your people it's Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a great big hand. Clap for Oh, Jesus. Uh, come on, let's magnify you. Come on, let's magnify you. Shake your neighbor's hand, give them a great big God bless you, and you may be seated. Hallelujah. From the opening chapters of Genesis to the closing chapters of Revelation, there is one instrument of worship that is referred to repeatedly. It is spoken of both in the literal sense and in the figurative sense. Be it poetic or prosaic, what the Bible refuses to do is not speak of it. Page after page, Scripture highlights in the minds of readers the significance of this instrument of worship. Not only is it vital to improving the quality of our lives, it is vital to improving the quality of our relationship with God and the world around us. The instrument of worship that I'm referring to is the altar. There are over 300 references to the altar in the Bible. The Bible is full of altars. In Genesis, there's an altar. In Exodus, there's an altar. In Leviticus, there's an altar. In Numbers, there's an altar. In Deuteronomy, there's an altar. In Joshua, there's an altar. In Judges there's an altar. In first and second Samuel there is altars. In first and second chronicles, there is altars. In Ezra there is altars. In Nehemiah there is altars. In Psalms there is altars. In Isaiah there is altars. In Lamentations there is altars. In Jeremiah, there is altars. In Ezekiel, there are altars. In Joel, there are altars. In Amos there are altars. In Zechariah, there are altars. In Malachi, there are altars. In Matthew, there are altars. In Luke there are altars. In Acts there are altars. In Romans there are altars. In First Corinthians, there is an altar. In Hebrews, there is an altar. In James, there is an altar. In Revelation, there is an altar. From book to book, the Bible is full of altars. It appears to me that... From God's perspective, every person, every generation, and everyone desiring a better life must have an altar. You can't live a good life without an altar. You don't want to die without an altar. You don't want to have friends that don't have altars. God help you if your parents don't have altars. You don't want to go to a church without an altar. You don't want to sing songs without an altar. You don't want to try to live this life Without an altar. Whatever you do, make sure that you have an altar in your life. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. The most basic explanation I can offer you tonight of a Bible or a Bible altar is a stack of rocks. Which could not be shaped, chiseled, or manipulated with tools. On top of these rocks, amen, one would put, amen, something that was of great value to them and sacrifice it unto the Lord. Now I want you to understand, amen, they were not giving, they were sacrificing. And in case you think that that's just a play on words, let me clarify for you tonight that it's possible to give and not to sacrifice. In fact, the minute that you give instead of sacrifice, whatever you are doing at that moment, it no longer involves an altar. It is not an altar if what you put on it is just something you are giving rather than something of great value. In fact... In fact, it is a complete contradiction in terms. God rejected altars all the time for this very reason. The minute you're just giving, that ain't an altar anymore. It's only when you sacrifice that that thing becomes an altar. Hallelujah. Amen. In fact, the the word altar in Hebrew is mizbeach, and the word mizbeach literally means place of sacrifice, not the place of giving. It is the place of sacrifice. In fact, when our amen, when when our writers, when our interpreters, and our uh, amen biblical expositors sat down to translate the word altar, amen, they they used a Latin word called altus, amen, meaning high. It's where it's where in Spanish we get the word alto, or it's where in English We get the word altitude. Amen. Thus an altar is also a high place. It's not just the place of sacrifice. It is that thing that we build on a higher level. Because we're trying to transcend earth and touch heaven let me just say this, the very act of building things on high places means that the builder is emphasizing that the importance of the thing being built amen, is extremely important it is of the highest value, amen, has anybody ever heard about a city set on a hill, oh there's a lot of cities but when the city is set on a hill, the person who built it there wants everybody to know there ain't no city like this city, there's nothing more important than this city Don't a lot of thought went into this city a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into this city when you build things on high places everybody knows huh, that it wasn't easy to do it cost somebody something there was a lot of effort there was a lot of we're talking about the altar the altars, the high. Oh, clap your hands to Jesus. I don't have time to explain to you everything that an altar is. But let me say this. An altar is, an altar was, and an altar will always be the place of all. (laughs) <laughs> an altar is, an altar was, and an altar will always be the place of all. It is the place where we give it all. It is the place where we confess it all. It is the place where we leave it all. It is the place where we offer it all. It is the place where we surrender it all. It is the place where God returns it all. It is. Come on. I wonder if there's any people willing to do some business with God tonight and give it all, confess it all, surrender it all, leave it all, offer it all. Come on, let's magnify Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about the enemy of the altar. Find me someone who doesn't like the altar. Find me somebody who avoids the altar. Find me somebody who laughs at the people that spend time in the altar. And I'll show you somebody who's half-hearted. Because half-hearted folks never give all. Half-hearted folks laugh at people that give all. Half-hearted folks half hearted folks are allergic to all they don 't go near it all they don 't want to touch it all they don 't want to be consumed by it at all they don 't this is, I'm telling you right now this is why some folks never get the Holy Ghost, it's not that they're a chronic seeker, it's that they're a chronic avoider, hallelujah, this is why some folks never really get the blessing that they're pursuing they can blame the pastor all they want they can blame the church all they want but the real problem is they're not giving it all, I can remember the first time, amen, I was coming to church, uh, I can remember one of the first times uh, after coming to church uh, that God began to deal with me as a new convert and he said the problem here son is that the pastor may not know and nobody else may not know but you and me both know that you're not giving it your all you're not praising me with your all you're not shouting to me with your all you're not dancing with your all you're not King James, or even several other translations, sometimes we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not able to broaden, amen, our understanding of some words. Or We can, but we just sometimes we don't, because we've never heard the word used in different terms. But there's a word in the Bible that you got to be a little careful with, it's the word first. Because first doesn't always necessarily indicate one, or the first in a sequence, I can be flying first class, but that doesn't mean I was the first person on the plane. First in the Bible means of greatest importance. It has primacy. It is the highest on a hierarchical scale or ladder. And in the Bible, there's something very interesting known as first fruits. But it's not talking about the first apple that comes off the tree. It's talking about the finest apple that comes off the tree. You see, there came a moment in every man's harvest when he had to walk through his fields and he, nobody was watching. It was just him, God, and that fruit. Nobody was looking and that man would have to take a the first fruit. The first fruit. But even, I mean, we all know it's impossible to tell which piece of fruit grew first. Because, you know, if you've ever grown fruit, you know you can come out one morning and there's three or four apples on that tree. It's almost impossible to tell. But what's not impossible to tell is which one is the juiciest one, which one is the best one, which one is the nicest one. And so that man would have to take out a string and tie it around the first fruit. Nobody knew, but God knew. It was between God and that man. And He had to tie a little string around that fruit to indicate this is the very best I got. This is better than everything else. And this is going down to the house of the Lord. It's not staying on this tree. It's not staying in this field. It's going down to the temple. I wonder if anybody brought their first fruit praise. I wonder if anybody. Come on. If you're here, you might as well come with your fruits, fruit. Not trying to shout so the pastor sees. I'm not trying to shout to improve, to impress my youth group. I'm not I'm not here, amen, to please, amen, per se. Anybody? I'm here to give God my very best. I'm not looking around for a girlfriend yet. I'm not looking around for a husband yet. I came to give God my very best. I came to give God Come on. Come on. Half-hearted people, they don't want to mess with the altar. You know, this is just kind of me. And I'm, I'm going to keep preaching here in a minute. But you know what? When I first came to God, I remember I made myself a promise. And I still try to stick by it. I don't make fun of folk that worship God like they're crazy. That may not be my deal, but I'm not going to make fun of you for it. I'm not going to giggle and laugh about it. I'm not going to post a video on it. Oh, no. I don't make fun of folk giving their all. That's some sacred stuff right there. That's holy stuff right there. That's first fruit stuff right there. Don't you laugh at people don't you criticize, don't you judge don't you mock, don't you laugh at somebody losing their mind you have if you're not going to give your all don't hate on somebody that is giving their all, don't come up in here testing shade, cause you came with a half heart, you ought to give Jesus the back you don't know like I know why I'm running you don't know With the altar. I came to mingle with the altar. I came to do business with. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come on. Let us exalt. The half-hearted. They don't want nothing to do with the altar, brother Archie. The most classic biblical example of this is King Saul. In 1 Samuel 14, 35, the Bible says, And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And what the verse does not reveal on the surface is that not only was it his first altar, it was his last altar. You know what rhymes with Saul? I don't like giving it all. And we know that this was his last altar. Amen. Listen, Saul didn't mind giving. He was just selective about what he gave and what great it was. God could have stuff, just not the best. God can have as much fruit as He wants, just not first. Food. We know this was His first and last altar, because just one chapter later, Saul has the kingdom stripped from his hands, and God give why? Why? Because God gave Him orders to utterly destroy all of the Amalekites. Instead Saul, using his own word Spares everything that he felt Could be used for some greater purpose Let me tell you something There is no greater purpose than obedience We don't need to be talking about The purpose driven life We need to be talking about The obedient driven life I'm telling you you got folks and there's nothing wrong with it. Everything is made with a purpose, or as the Greek writers called it, a telos. I don't debate that. I don't argue that. Everything is made with a purpose on earth. But let me tell you something even more important than finding your purpose. It's finding a place of obedience where you do whatever God tells you. You gotta get this in your head because God may give you a purpose gift of playing the piano, but there's days you're gonna be taking up the offering and helping the ushers instead. And you got folks that lose their Holy Ghost anytime they gotta do something outside their comfort zone. You gotta get it in your head God is going to call you to do things that may not feel God will call you to do things that will make you feel awkward that will make you feel like you're walking with two left legs and got a handful of thumbs but you got to do what God says whenever God says however God says oh come on come on come on This I know. Let let me just, you know, pro tip. Let me give you an apostolic pro tip. When you first launch out into ministry, nine times out of ten, you will be doing something you were not called to do. You will be doing awkward stuff. You'll be you'll be cleaning, chasing kids. if you sing really bad, you might even get a solo. Oh, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of time God says this ain't going nowhere until it learns how to adjust, how to be malleable and how to be obedient. This, this calling right here ain't going nowhere until it's tied down to obedience. This anointing right here. get all of this person, until I get all of their heart, until I get all of their mind, until I get all of their might, until I get all of their willingness, until I get them to completely yield it all to me. You know, you know what God saw? Saul, Saul at this point, and I'm not going to preach much longer. Saul, at this point in his life of ministry, is already so far from God that when Samuel shows up and he says, What mean if the bleeding of the sheep? Why am I hearing this music in the background? What mean if this thug look? What meaneth this CD in your stash? What meaneth this website in your history browser? He's preaching. (laughs) What meaneth this selfie on Instagram? What meaneth this Facebook post right here? What meaneth this coffee date with sister half backslid? What meaneth this side chick? What meaneth this other man? What still preaching. I know I know folks losing the Holy Ghost right now. You know you, you you know what's you know what Saul told Sam? He says, Samuel. He said, I spared this stuff. This is how far he is from God. He says, for thy God. Saul at this point in his life was a walking atheist. Oh, come on. Hold on. People need to hear this. (laughs) Well, We'll do this in a minute, but. He was a walking, functioning atheist. It ain't, even, it ain't even my God. It's thy God. And you know, your God, he just wants stuff. Saul was already thinking like a pagan. He was already thinking. That's why he ends up going to a witch in the end, because he was already thinking like a human. And this is why Saul started getting his, 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 his thoughts all mixed up. He thought God was like pagan gods. See, pagan gods always want to be fed. They need oranges and apples and food put in front of them. But God said in Psalms 50 and 12, he said, if I was hungry, I would not tell you. He said, I don't want goat's blood and I don't want food. I'm not that kind of God. But Saul was already thinking like an unbeliever and a pagan and a heathen. He said, "That God, that God just wants food. Well, here it is. but let's keep the best. He, let me just, this is free. This ain't even in the notes. Saul was so dilapid- dilapidated as a leader, he said, besides, the people the me. He couldn't even take ownership. If you have a position I don't care if the people under it fail. Just own it. If you got a marriage, come on, let's get in the man land right now. I know this is a youth conference, but if it's okay with you, let's get in the man land for a little bit. When you walk in and get counseling about your marriage, don't blame your wife. Just own it. Don't blame your husband. Just own it. Just take some... You'll feel better once you own it. You'll be relieved once you own it. It's hard trying to spread out the guilt. There's too many people to blame. But when you say, my dad, my marriage, my God, my pastor, my Bible will help me get my way out of this. Things will turn around. there's something God never asked in sacrifices, and that was humans. You got all kinds of people that try to critique the Bible and say, it's a bloody book. God always wants animal sacrifices. Don't read that book. It's archaic and twisted. Let me tell you something about the ancient world. Everybody sacrificed. The difference between Israelites and pagan people was that Israelites didn't sacrifice people. Well, God's people were sacrificing animals in a humane way. In fact, the word for tool in Hebrew is literally sword. After they cut an animal's neck, that sword was not even allowed to be near the animal. There was no more violence to be involved. And they would set that animal right on that altar and let it go from man's world into God's world. And let me tell you something. i When the Israelites sacrificed, it wasn't to attract the deity. It was to attract themselves to the deity. Because the giver loves more than the receiver. You want another apostolic pro tip? Amen. Give and you'll fall more in love with Jesus. Give. People that give don't backslide so easily. People that give don't just walk out the church. People that give don't just leave a marriage. People that give don't just leave the youth group. People that give. You find me a leech and I'll show you somebody halfway out the door. see your tithing record. I just need to see which way you are facing, whether you're facing the pulpit and the altar or whether you're facing the back door. God never wanted human sacrifices and Saul spared Agad, the king of the Amalekites. And somebody might be thinking to themselves, well, what's the problem with the Amalekites? I'll tell you what the problem with the Amalekites is. It goes back a few centuries. In Exodus 17, the Bible says that the Lord hath sworn that He will make war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. Jehovah Nisi. God will make war with the Amalekites from generation to generation to generation. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Israel was escaping bondage. They were coming out from the club. They were coming out from the dope game. They were coming out from the hustle. They were coming out from multiple husbands and men in their lives. They were coming out of all kinds of girlfriends. They were coming out of all kinds of scandalous behavior. They were getting free from the shackles. And all of a sudden, as they were exiting Egypt, this punk, this nasty, dank, dark spirit starts attacking God hates anything that hates freedom. Hold on. Hold on. I want you to hear this preacher good right now. When I, and, and I'm not speaking for myself, so preach with me. When I first started getting saved, when I was coming out of sin, Brother Archer, all of a sudden, all kinds of nasty spirits begin to raise their head. You, you, you just watch. You just, you, just, you just watch somebody say, you know what, Pastor? I'm ready to get baptized next week. And all of a sudden, every devil in hell will come out. And I remember when I started... My journey into salvation, every devil in hell started coming out. Those Amalekite spirits started coming out. And God says, I hate those spirits the most. That spirit right there, that group right there, that attitude right there, that way right there, I will declare war on it. Amen. From generation to generation, that right there is something I will never eat. I'm preaching to some young people right now You need to mark it well See, Saul had no ori- no historical orientation He had forgotten the past Worst thing you can do is forget the past You need to mark well in your mind Every spirit that raises up When you try to get free from pornography You need to mark well in your mind Every spirit that rises up When you try to break up with that girl Because in case you haven't noticed It's a cycle That's why y'all have broken up ten times Agag's ancestors That every time you decide I'm going to make a change You know what And I I, I hope I don't offend nobody But let me keep it real with you There's a pastor's kid in here right now If you could just forget about the image If you could just forget about your last name For a few seconds you can make a tremendous turnaround. Because a lot of times, and I, I sympathize, I empathize with you because I have children and I and I I know what it is to be a young preacher and not want anybody to know I'm struggling and not want anybody. I'm already hanging out with the upper echelon and, and I don't want nobody to know I got trouble or struggles. And so you mask things, you veneer things, but I'm telling you right now. You need to mark well in your head, young person. You need to mark well in your heart, PK. All those spirits that come up against you when you say, you know what? Regardless of what my last name is, regardless of who I hang out with, regardless of what I've done, and regardless of what the devil's telling me, I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to give God my all. My parents might even think I'm strange. They might ask me on the way home, what's wrong? You know what? I just made it up in my mind, Brother Bass. When I see people tear their heart out at the altar, I'm not going to ask them, is everything okay? Everything might be perfectly fine, but it's none of your business. It might not be any of my business. We may not even want to know. back to this. Samuel tells us, he said, I'm taking the kingdom from you and I'm giving it to somebody better than you. Better. And this is where we get King David. And the thing you have to understand about David is that he was not perfect. But the difference between Saul and David was that David was a man after God's own heart. And the reason he was a man after God's own heart is because all David desired was the heart of God. In Psalms 27 and verse 4, he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. That word inquire in Hebrew is bakar, which means to plow and to break through. David said, One thing I want to do all of my young life, and that's get into the house of God and start plowing. I just want to break through. I'm just going to get through. I'm just... Christianity, plow through faking it. Plow. Oh, come on, let's magnify Jesus. For about 10 seconds, let's plow. Let's plow. Let's plow. Oh, come on let's magnify Jesus here right now just just for a few seconds come on I feel something wonderful I feel a plowing spirit I feel a breakthrough spirit come on, plow, plow. I know some of you are tired, but plow he I know it 's come on, I can plow without a song. I can plow without my parents having to drag me to the altar. I can plow without my mom having to look at me and tell me it's time to go pray. I can plow even if I'm sitting next to a bunch of carnal friends that I should have never made friends with. I can walk out of the aisle right now and start plowing. I can plow right now even if I'm with a boyfriend that I know I'm going to have to break up with after I'm done plowing. I can plow right now. I can plow right now. Nobody knows, but I got to plow